Amen. This church is here today because of our founder, Dr. Nathaniel Wilson. We love him. We thank God for his ministry and all that it means to us. And I believe that he is coming with a word from the Lord. Would you stand? Let's honor the man of God. Brother Wilson, come preach to us. Well, let's praise him. Thank him for his word. Hallelujah. Amen. Read one verse of scripture to you from the book of 2 Corinthians. Or one passage, actually two verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. These are familiar to most of you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I want to preach to you for the next few minutes on the subject of challenging strongholds challenging strongholds but as you know and I know and certainly every preacher in this house knows the Word of God is dynamic and alive and unless that living spirit and presence of the Lord is abiding upon us nothing works amen it's all wood hay and stubble unless that anointing is is in our midst and touching our hearts and talking to our souls and I feel the Holy Ghost here this morning. Amen. I thank God for the word of God I just heard from Brother Jesse Parker. Amen. Praise God. I enjoyed every bit of it. Uh, I love the title. I heard him give the title in the back to somebody. And I said to, to myself, I said, did he say what I just thought he said? He's going to preach about the 25th bear? What kind of title is that, the 25th bear? But, but I love bears. I mean, bears are special to me. If I had one, I'd name him Theodore. Uh, uh, but what a mighty word of God that comes out of a man who certainly's given himself to the will of God for many years and the fruit of it the production of it is showing and then last night our good brother Blash who preached mightily to us from the Word of God thank you brother Blash God bless you love you amen amen and so I want to preach to you for a little while today on the subject of challenging strongholds and believing God to touch us in just these next few minutes. 
Would you pray with me one more time that the Holy Ghost would come down and touch us together? We've come this far. We're here. We need God to give us one of those primary spiritual event instance. God, come on, lift your hands and voices. God, I'm believing you to touch us in a special way. In the next few minutes, Jesus, as only you can do. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, someone came up last night and said, I, uh, I preached here at the Rock Church a few weeks back, a few months back, and he said, you weren't here. And he said, uh, Pastor showed me your office. And he said, uh, uh, he said, I told my wife, I said, I've never seen an office like that. It's just green. And the floor is green, the wall is green, the ceiling's green, doors are green, and uh, it's, everything's green. And uh, I said, yeah, it is. I didn't know if he was going to say he liked it or didn't like it, but he never did say whether he liked it or didn't like it. So we all just left it there, and, you know, I guess if he doesn't like it, he paint his white, but, you know... Uh, but, uh, I think he liked it, but, but there's a reason that it was painted green and, uh, every door has a scripture on it. Uh, the doors have scriptures about harvest and about God's old Testament people was a, um, agricultural people was an agricultural society and so it's scriptures about agriculture Um, and green is about growing things it's about agriculture and I need these little reminders in my life and so and it's got tractors in it which is about agriculture and it's got a, a, a bunch of knives that all have John Deere tractors on them because it's all about agriculture. I've got other tractors too because it's about agriculture. And I've got a big ox on the wall, uh, just a big ox. I like him. He just looks tough. And uh, <clears throat> under that, I've got a scripture to remind me not let anybody push me around. It says, muzzle not the ox that treadeth out the corn. I figure once in a while I may need that. Just remind me that I'm the one that's supposed to be uh, grinding out the grain and um, also to remind me that it's a methodical process I'm not a, 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 a an antelope or a deer or a, the fastest animal in the world a cheetah I'm not a uh, or cheetah either I'm not a um, uh, none of those things it's not about looks it's not about being sleek it's about it's about doing a job, and you have to be able to live with the routinization of the job. You have to enjoy the spectacular times, but there's a lot of it that's not spectacular. And unless you can do the daily stuff without letting it drag you down, you're not going to be successful. So it's a combination of all of those things. And, and, um, and agriculture, I'm telling you why I'm going to preach about challenging strongholds. It's what I'm doing. And... Um, uh, agriculture, uh, people say, well, I want to be cultured. Well, the first culture is agri. Agriculture is the first culture in the history of the world. And it is 
where the idea of cultivation and refinement comes from. And um, to be cultivated as a person begins from this agricultural motif that um, we are we cultivate the earth. And where I'm going with that is that in No Limits, a lot of the preaching and a lot of the focus is on the challenges that we face individually. You don't hear a lot of preaching at No Limits about new programs uh, or a lot of preaching at No Limits about how to get the job done. You hear a lot of preaching about the Bible lets us know that the soil, the soil is what matters. And a real farmer in the deepest part of his soul is not into food production. He's into soil cultivation. And his heartbeat is the cultivation of the soil. And he loves the soil. And he knows the rich loam that produces stuff. And he loves to work with it. And he loves to tractor it. And he loves to make something out of it. And he loves to cast seed into it. Matthew 13, much of the chapter is about the soil of the human heart. And so one of the things that's emphasized, it's not spoken, but it is emphasized because of the spirit of the meeting at No Limits, is the cultivation of the human soil. The byproduct of that is food production. The primary goal is not figuring out food production. The primary goal is the cultivation of individual souls. If we get that right, and if we get the water coming down, you don't have to worry about production. You're going to have production if you've got the cultivation of the soil. Amen. And um, so, uh, when I preach today, I am focusing on the soil. And Jesus told us that there's different kinds of soil. There's soil that is good soil. There's soil that is uh, shallow soil. There's soil that is entangled with the affairs of this world and life gets choked out of it. There's soil uh, that is uh, put on rocky places. And so all of our hearts here today and all of our spirits here today, um, the soil of those hearts has a lot to do with it. And if you can get the soil right, and if you can get it in alignment and rhythm with the weather, and if you can, and if you understand the processes whereby soil produces, then out of that soil can erupt great crops of power and uh, and of nutrition that can feed the world. And so, while I'm preaching today, I'm actually while I was thinking of this, I thought of of my buddy, Sister Wilson. And I thought about uh, uh, when she was about 40 years old, we had been here uh, in Sacramento at that time about eight years. And she's always just been a wonderful woman, a wonderful wife, a woman of God, a woman of prayer, a woman of fasting, a woman of consecration, and all of those things. Um, uh, But when she was 40 years old one day here in Sacramento, uh, she came to me and she said, I, I, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. And uh, she said, I, w- I would like to just get in the car and drive 
to uh, the park or somewhere where we won't be interrupted by people or phones or, or, or children or anything. And I said, okay. So we did that. And we drove there and uh, we pulled into a parking place, uh, isolated parking place. I turned the key off and um, uh, we sat there in the car for a moment and she began to weep. And I said, uh, all right, talk to me and tell me, tell me what is happening in your life. And she said, well, she said, there's nothing bad happening in my life. She said, but I sense that God is doing something in me. And she said, it is scaring me. She said, uh, I said, well, talk to me about it. She said, I don't know that I even know how to explain it, but I feel like God is saying that I am supposed to be something that I am not yet. And so, of course, I reassured her, well, I don't know what else you could do is in terms of, of being faithful and being a wonderful woman and being a wonderful mother and on and on, pastor's wife and so forth. She said, no, I know all of that. But she said, that's not, there's, there's more to that. She said, there's something in my soul. Because you see, when the seed falls into cultivated soil, uh, there's, there's, there's things that start happening. And, and the, uh, Jesus said, a, a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all of the seeds, falls into the ground. And he said, but that mustard seed can say to the soil, to the mountain, be thou removed, and, and it will be removed because that little seed says. And so we all read that scripture, and we think of that as there's a, we're, I'm standing here, and there's a Sierra Nevadas, and so I'm going to experiment, and I say, be thou removed and cast into the sea. That's not what it's talking about. They don't move. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the mountain, the little seed is looking up, and it's looking at the mountain over its head, which may only be that high, but if you're smaller than a grain of salt, that's, that's 5,000 feet over your head. And so that grain of mustard seed is looking up through the soil, and it's saying, I have a mountain on my head, and, but if it's got faith, of a mustard seed. The mustard seed says, I'm moving the mountain that's on my head. I'm move, I'm breaking the soil that that's the mountain that's over its head. And I'm breaking what's over my head. I could preach there about breaking what's over your head. May do that as well. But anyway, uh, and so what happened is, is all of that spirit that had been nurtured through those years was coming to a place at 40 years old of culmination in which it there was going to be something break out of that soil that heretofore had not broken out of that soil and it did and I encouraged her and she said well I'm I'm afraid of everything that God is doing in me she said I know you have some friends that don't even believe in women preachers or women doing anything and she said I'm not called to preach but she said I you know that got a little quiet when I said that didn't it I didn't mean it that way but you know I mean if that's your your issue, that's your issue. But anyway, um, and she said, I, I don't want to be offensive and I don't want to get out of my place. And I went, and I said, no, you don't need to worry about that. You need to listen to the Holy Ghost. 
And you need to let God individually in you do what the individual God is doing in the individual human being. And you need to become whatever God's going to make you become. And, um, and the result of that has been that, um, is that she has played a very instrumental role in the growth of this church to where it is uh, through the years and to where it is today and continues to play an instrumental role. And so I'm, I'm saying thank you. But I'm also saying that it's an example of how the, the texture of the soil and the preparation of the soil of the individual heart is the key in an apostolic church to everything from local church growth and enculturation and qualitatively speaking as well as reaching out into the world programs will develop out of passion and passion will come out of individual development and we need to be thinking about ourselves and what we're doing and how we're developing and and where the gaps are in my life and how i can overcome them and what are the things holding me back and so that's my initial introduction to you about challenging strongholds because strongholds are real and in this world in which we're living we have a real devil that is trying to suppress i mean you have to face this there's a real devil trying to suppress what you and i have the potential to become and what god wants to do in our lives and the bible's very clear that the devil is a murderer uh the bible says from the beginning he abode not that's a quote he abode not in the truth and and uh, he has become a murderer uh, a, a manslayer that's a we need to get that in our mind we're not we're not dealing with somebody that wants to slap us we're, we're not dealing with somebody that just wants to take our wallet and steal we're, 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 we're not dealing with somebody that just wants to uh, whip us in front of everybody to intimidate us we're dealing with a murderer we're, we're dealing with a a manslayer we're dealing with one that wants to everything that i can be or become in god he wants to take it and not only is he a murderer but the bible uses the words that he has come to steal and to kill and to destroy this is his mission is to steal from me as a child of god what i can become and to kill everything that there is in you or or, or myself and to destroy uh, to fully ruin everything that there is the word steal there uh, uh, from the Greek is klepto from which we get kleptomaniac somebody that it it's in his nature the implication is is that he is insane I think there's part of the devil that's insane because I think deception leads to insane things, insanity. And, and he's a kleptomaniac. He can't help himself. He wants to steal everything about you. And he has ways in which he does that. And these ways in which he does that lead to strongholds, which I, is what I want to talk about uh, in just a moment today. The Bible in Revelation chapter 9 gives us a picture of the bottomless pit being opened at some future time that has not yet come. But it describes it as a, an experience that it defies science fiction. It says the bottomless pit is open and uh, uh, the sun and earth are darkened. And it talks about locusts coming out with tails like scorpions. Uh, 
that attack nothing but humans. Uh, their faces are like horses prepared to battle. They have the hair as the hair of a woman. They have faces like men. They have teeth like lions. They have breastplates of iron. Uh, the sound of their wings are like the sound of many chariots and horses running to battle. Uh, they are, these are all descriptions the Bible gives, an in-depth description. They have a sting as the sting of a scorpion. They are identified like locusts that in the Mideast would go through fields and would completely denude the field of everything. They would strip the fields uh, of anything, of any nutrition that was there. And then the Bible says in that same chapter, they have a king over them. They have a king over them. And their king's name is Abaddon or Apollyon. And this king that is over them is a destroyer. He's a destroyer. Abaddon and Apollyon means destroyer. And so everything that he does has to do with destruction. Now this is the world that I live in and this is the world God called me to preach in and this is a world that God called you as a Christian to live in and he called us to live in this world triumphantly and he called us to live in this world as people that had dominion and were not dominated and he made man and woman to live in this world that already had a devil and he made them to live in it and he said I give you dominion over the, the fowls of the air and over the fish of the sea and over all of the land creatures. I, I give you dominion this is the world this is the way I'm supposed to live I'm not talking now about how I'm living I'm simply saying this is the way I'm supposed to live this is the way mankind is supposed to be in the world the world lieth in darkness but the church are people that have come out of that uh, deadness because we've been born again can you say amen and as born again people we're supposed to live on 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 with dominion instead of uh, subjugation to these things I'm not saying whether we are right now I'm just preaching what we ought to be I'm just talking to myself and saying whatever I am this is what I'm supposed to be and I'm in a minute I got to figure out at some point if this is what I am and that's what I'm supposed to be how big a gap is there and how do I close that gap and how do I get from where I'm at to where I'm supposed to be and do I have what it takes to get there and does it matter if I get there and if I get there will I really have that dominion and then will I really use it for the glory of God. Oh, let's clap our hands and praise Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so, the method whereby we are kept down in our lives, there's a lot of stuff that can be preached, but our, our, the Bible defines it here uh, that our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Pulling down of strongholds. The next verse lets us know that strongholds are spiritual, and they're in the mind, and they're in the spirit. And we're not talking here about tearing down literal rocks of castles that are built. However, the idea of a stronghold is tied to a fort, a fortification, a, 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 an old castle. And... And uh, that these things, these things are there. In other places, they're talked about places, fortifications, strongholds in high places. They're, they're up in high places. And one, one verse of scripture in Psalms tells us that uh, God has put us in a fortification in those high places. 
And one of the reasons I don't use the NIV is because it took out the high there. It does, it, it's clearly there in the Hebrew, but they just decided they didn't want it there. But when they do that, when you start messing with the Bible, this is a nickel's worth just on the side here. When you start messing with the Bible and you decide what you want to take out and you don't know the bigger picture of the Bible and you don't know what high places means in both terms of good and bad and you don't understand the spiritual significance of the word high and you start taking it out arbitrarily because you decided that you didn't want it there. I don't want your Bible. I want the Bible that tells me because I know what role high places play. I know how that ties in to the Old Testament and the New Testament and the heavenly places. What that means. Don't mess with my Bible. Anyway, and so, and so strongholds usually develop uh, uh, progressively. We usually don't just fall into a stronghold immediately. There's exceptions, I guess, to everything, but uh, a, a, a little at a time. And oftentimes strongholds start, and I want you to start thinking about yourself here, as a personal, they start as a personal defense against something that is difficult in one's life. They go through something extremely difficult. I'm talking just sinners here. And they say, oh, well, I, you know, man, I'm going to have to smoke a cigarette to relieve my stress. And, 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 and what happens is, is the stronghold that starts becomes worse than the problem that they were stressed about. Uh, or I just, need to, I just need to take a drink here to relieve my mind. And so they start down the road of alcoholism, which... The, the, the stronghold developed becomes worse than whatever the initial uh, trigger that of the stress until they become bound by these strongholds and they become more devastating than the thing itself was. Now, there's all kinds of strongholds. And I've seen people who were demon-possessed and I've seen people who were bound by different kinds of strongholds. And I saw one of these young ladies shouting up here last night and dancing and rejoicing in God about right here. And, um, and Brother Young leaned over and said, do you know who that is? I said, no, that's, uh, he said, that's uh, Sister Linda's grandmother and uh, uh, granddaughter, I mean, and uh, Sister Linda's her grandmother. And, uh, and Sister Linda years ago was, uh, many years ago, was, was demon-possessed. And, and if she tells your testimony, it'll raise the hackles on the back of your the, the hair on the back of your hand and 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 uh, and was deep into demon possession in all kinds of ways morality and all the other ways and came to an apostolic church and and repented of her sins and and uh the church and the ministry there prayed the prayer of faith and cast the demons out of her and linda got the holy ghost and got baptized in jesus name that's now 25 30 years ago never looked back never missed never stumbled never did anything now years later here's her granddaughter standing in victory living in liberty because individually god did a work in their life of setting her free man we ought to just praise god for the power and liberty and victory that comes in deliverance Amen. but there's different there's different there's different degrees of strongholds there's different uh, uh, levels of strongholds they uh, they vary and I just want to talk uh, briefly about two or three of these primary strongholds today uh, in hopes that God helps us as apostolics 
And oftentimes, Brother Parker preached about the power of delusion and deception. And the power of delusion and deception has a deep unspoken motivation. And it is to take you into the bondage uh, because that's the primary tactic of the devil is to put people in bondage one way or another. And is to take you into bondage. The murdering process first starts by capturing you and by taking you down and by, and by getting you in his hands. And there's subtle ways that this happens. There's also blatant ways that it happens, but there's subtle ways that it happens. And because the first story of strongholds starts with the first woman that existed, which was Eve, one of the first strongholds that we see in the Bible is the stronghold of you're not good enough. And while there's a lot of strongholds that enter the story of Eve, the primary stronghold which was the progenitor of the rest of the strongholds uh, was the stronghold of you're not good enough. The truth of the matter is she lived in a perfect garden and uh, life on earth in general was in a perfect state. There was not a single omission that God had made to creating a perfect world. But Satan convinced Eve that the perfect world that God had given to her was not good enough. He'd given her all the trees, but the trees were not good enough. God gave her his word, but his word was not good enough. And so you get the word of God and you hear the preaching of the word of God and you continue to seek for validation and authentication of the word outside of the preached word uh, with your scientist friends or your college professor people or the people who have influence in your life outside of the church uh, because God's word is not good enough. This is how this works. Uh, what Satan's doing today is no different than it was then. Uh, it is to let her know, I know that God said this, but God's word is not good enough. Uh, and then he continues to work with her and he convinces her that the messenger of God's word is not good enough. The fact of the matter is, is that uh, the clear, pretty clear indication of scripture is, is that in Genesis 2.17, when God told uh, Adam that you shall not eat of the, uh, this particular tree or ye shall surely die. The indication is pretty clear there that Eve was not there when God told Adam that. And so her knowledge of not eating of the tree uh, was given to her. It was mediated to her. A message that was mediated to her through a anointed person of God whose job was to mediate that to her. And so Eve received the word of God two ways. She received the word of God unmediated through her spirit in walking in the cool of the day. The other way she received the word of God was mediated through a preacher of the word of God who's happened to be her husband and he preached the word of God to her. But at some point Satan convinced her like Paul says in Thessalonians uh, 
that the words Paul said, I thank God for you and I'm proud of you because you took the words that I preached to you, not as the words of a man, but as the words of God. This is a critical component. I preached about it. I will continue to preach about it because in this day, this is a critical component in the apostolic church and its welfare and its well-being. And that is that the mediated word of God is somehow something you can fool with. Uh, and you can take it as the words of men instead of the words of God. And I'm just going to tell you unapologetically, when you do that, you are bargaining your soul. And you're bargaining for more than you may say, but you're just a man. I don't care what you think. Uh, it's an anointed man. But you're an imperfect man. I don't care what you think. Uh, it's a man of God. And when he's preaching the word of God, God's not going to give you the excuse someday that you can look and say, it was just a man. God's going to say, I told you. And you're going to say, when did you tell me? And God's going to say, when I had it preached to you from the pulpit at no limits. Oh, let's thank God for his word today. And so the creation of criti criticism and critiquing everything and discontent with things. And so he convinced her that her environment was not good enough. That it, it wasn't as good as it should be. There were things missing. And that walking with God was not good enough. And uh, without taking the time to prove the point, I think there's evidence that, that, that she went home and talked to Adam about these things and convinced him to join her. Uh, thus, her husband was not good enough. And eventually it went further than that, 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 that the devil convinced her uh, that uh, she, as a creation of God, was not good enough. And that what she knew was not good enough. And that her wisdom was not good enough. She needed something to make her more wise. And that her knowledge was not good enough. That her eyes could be opened. And that her power was not good enough. I'll make you like God. And that her diet was not good enough. Because you, God doesn't let you eat everything that is in the garden. And you are a real human being. You ought to be able to just look at anything you want to and discern whether you want to eat it or not. You don't need God to do that. You're a grown human being. That's a violation of your uh, free will for someone to try to tell you what you can and can't do. I am preaching to, I am preaching to a world who is careened out of control because of access to everything in the world. I'm just telling you, if you ever needed the word of God preached, and if you ever needed not to be missing church, and if you ever needed to be faithful to the house of God, this is the day you need to be faithful to the house of God. You'll end up believing anything if you're not faithful to the house of God. And so he convinced her that her whole self was not good enough. Then he worked on appearance, something that looked good to the eyes, pleasant to the eye. And so now your appearance is not good enough. And incidentally, he's been working on that one ever since. Your lips aren't good enough. So you need to paint them. Your eyes aren't good enough. So you need to black them. Your lashes aren't good enough. So you need to put fake ones on. Your brows aren't good enough. 
so you need to use a pencil on them. Your hair's not good enough, so you need to put fake hair on. Your hair color's not good enough, so you need to fake that. The devil's into telling you you ain't good enough. Your skin's not good enough. You need to tint it. You need to tone it. I'm talking about slavery. I'm talking about getting in bondage until you can't find anything about yourself that's good enough. The devil's got you running crazy trying to make yourself good enough. Because he is a tyrant and he is bringing you into bondage. The tone of your color is not good enough, so you've got to put stuff on. You've got to figure out how to make that meet where your neck real color is, because then it shows up and looks like you put on a fake head or something. I, it's, I don't know. It's an issue. I don't have the answer for that. It's an issue. Your sparkle's not good enough, so you have to put on fake sparkle jewelry. You, you don't have sparkle inside, so you have to create sparkle. I was talking to a girl the other day, one of my nieces, and, and I, I said, well, you, you look like you're doing good. You look healthy, you look strong, you're faithful to God, you're doing right. She's probably five and a half feet tall. She probably weighs about 110, 12 pounds. She said, oh, yes, Poppy, but I've got to lose three or four pounds. It don't matter what you do, the devil's going to tell you, you're not good enough. That's how he started this whole thing. There is a stronghold of you buying into you're not good enough. And somebody just texted or something the other day. They didn't text me, but they text that somebody told me about it. That in Sacramento a week or two ago, they had love yourself day. And on that day in all the businesses downtown, they said, whatever you would like to do every day when you go to work in terms of loving yourself this is a day let's just all do it and let's see what happens and one of the main women tv newscasters or some position like that she came to work with no makeup on she said i'm loving myself but when the devil convinces you you're not good enough or you let everybody else's opinion tell you whether or not you're good enough it takes you right back to the bondage of saying this is what i've got to do because i'm not good enough i'm not i'm not belaboring the point i'm just preaching i'm not belaboring the point the whole cosmetics industry is a multi-billion dollar industry of the devil telling people they're not good enough. You don't look good enough. You don't smell good enough. We're going to Botox. I saw a girl the other day with her lips Botox and the Botox messed up. She looked like a freak. And so we're working out, killing ourselves. Some of you are killing yourself because you don't work out, but you get it anyway. Plastic surgery's never been a bigger business because everybody's trying to make themselves look different than they are. And when they get through, they don't look any better. They just look different. Uh, but they're convinced that the devil has convinced them that whatever you are, you're not good enough.
I'm just telling you, it's a stronghold. And the church is helping you to break the stronghold that says you're not good enough. Because no matter what you do, the devil's going to keep you believing you're never good enough. And of course, then when you feel like you're not good enough, then out of that comes the stronghold of disobedience. Then out of that comes a stronghold of rebellion. Then out of that comes a stronghold of satanic control over people. Of course, all of everything the devil told her was a lie, but she believed it. She bought into the stronghold of you're not good enough, which led to the stronghold of vanity. Vanity is one of the one of the toughest strongholds for half backslid Pentecostals when you're preaching to them. Which led to the stronghold of disobedience, the stronghold of rebellion, and the stronghold of Satanic control. And it all just starts with this little deal of you know more than the preacher. You know more than the Word of God. You know more than that because the devil's convinced you there's stuff that you got that they won't let you have. And, and what he's really saying is that you're not good enough as a child of God. But that's not the only way. And that's not even the primary way. Well, maybe it is and maybe it isn't. I'll leave that up to you. But the other way that he says you're not good enough is that the circumstance that you're in is complicated. This is a simple example. I have used this example many times through the years, but it is so graphic that I'm going to use it again. And it is the the example of Gideon. We think it's simple, but it's anything but simple. Um, Midian has prevailed against Israel. Israel is in dens and caves and defensive strongholds. They sow crops and the Midianites and the Amalekites come and destroy the crops. This has been an ongoing deal through each growing season. Israel is greatly impoverished. They don't have anything. In the middle of that, Gideon is threshing wheat behind the wine press, which indicates that he's hiding behind this big structure so that they cannot see him, they don't, or they'll come and take the little bit of wheat that he's got. While he's doing it, the Bible indicates that he is asking questions like, why has all of this happened? And where are the miracles of our fathers? He later asked these questions. And the Lord brought us out all of our forefathers, but now he has forsaken us. This is the view of his situation that he has. And in our world, there are many people that have this view. They are in, it's a stronghold in many people, apostolic people's minds that, well, it's, it's just people are backsliding and and bad things are happening, and, and uh, where is the God of our fathers? And at the same time, they don't even know that there is a world of liberty going on and victory and revival on an unprecedented scale. But they don't know that because they're caught up in this stronghold with their head down behind the wine press because they are, they are under the bondage of this stronghold from the enemy. And so God comes and speaks to Gideon, you know the story, with a liberating view. God's view is not Gideon's view. God's view of himself, Gideon, is not Gideon's view of himself. And so 
the word of God comes to Gideon and says, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now he's, he's, he's hiding, shrinking behind this wine press. He's hiding from everybody. He's mumbling that, that where is the God of our fathers? That we're, we're, this is hopeless. There is no hope. We're, this is a deal. We're, this is not ever going to work. This is terrible. Man, I'm, I'm liable to get killed any minute. And he's going through all of this, and, and he's thinking how hopeless he is in his situation. And God comes and speaks to him and says, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And so God, God is releasing him from the stronghold of you're not good enough if he can accept it. But he has trouble, he has trouble accepting it because when the Lord says he is with him, the stronghold is Gideon's view of himself that he's not good enough. And he says to God, my family is poor and I am the least in my family. And there's all these reasons why I cannot succeed that are there you know I've been preaching a long time and I've been preaching conferences like this a long time and I've asked myself many many times am I wasting my time preaching conferences I'm honored to be asked I'm honored that people would think perhaps there's something we could say that would help them. But am I really helping them? I am thinking right now of scores of churches that I know of and that I preach to or in. Or preach to at conferences where the churches came. And preachers. I am now an old man. I've been preaching these conferences. Brother Morton, you and I go back a little ways. You're a little older than I am, but... We've been preaching conferences like this for uh, uh, 40, 45 years. How much good have we done? I know people that I preached to for 45 years. I know people that started preaching when we did. That I'm not criticizing. I'm just trying to preach today, okay? I mean, I know you're not criticizing me, but I, but I, I, I have to qualify these things. I'm not criticizing. I'm not being a smart aleck. But I know people that's been pastor in churches that nothing in those churches have changed. I know people's got different circumstances. Okay, I know there's exceptions. Okay, but I'm not talking about the exceptions. I'm talking about what I see on a broad scale. Churches that never have revival. Churches that have never got it. And churches will have revival when the soil of the leader gets where the nutrition of that can come out. And then he transfers that to the rest of the people. And the people get it. And there's no way, brethren... Okay, I'm just going to say it. There's no way, brethren, for us to blame the lack of revival on how strong the strongholds are or how bad the people are or how dumb my saints are. If there's not revival, it goes back to who's leading that thing. And am I willing to live with this stronghold existing or am I going to say it ain't going to be this way as long as I'm alive? There's going to be something done about this situation. Come on, the very least we can do is clap and pray. Ask God to come in this place today.
And one of the reasons I know this is true, I'm challenging you, I'm not grinding on you, I'm not berating you. But if there's nothing happening, there's a reason nothing's happening. You say, well, I don't have the ability. If you don't have the ability, you have to go back and say, did God call me? Because God doesn't call anybody he doesn't equip. And if he called you and you know he called you, then your life ought to be producing fruit. And if it's not producing fruit, then you have to go back to that altar. And you got to get a hold of that altar. And you got to grapple with why this is not happening. And like Jacob, you got to wrestle with the angel of the Lord. And you may come out crippled, but you'll come out with a name change. Uh, and you'll come out a prince with God, with power with God and with man. I'm just telling you, you can decide you want to live that way. Or you can say, I'm going down deep enough until I find out where the root of this thing is. And I'm fixing to break it. Oh, come on. Everybody stand with me for a moment. Let's give God a chance to move in this place today. Oh, my God. And why am I preaching like this? You can be seated. Why am I preaching like this? I'm preaching like this because I think things are fastly spiraling to a point of high alert emergency where people and preachers have abdicated to strongholds and, and let those strongholds overtake them. You like, well, they say, well, the devil's just so strong in the world. I won't tell you. Now, this is just how I feel. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. But if the devil can whip me, I'll fall into hell backward. I'm not going forward. He's going to have to be fighting till the very last minute, and I'm not going to hell. But I'm just telling you, by the grace, but I'm just telling you, that's how I feel. I, I, hey, what have I got to lose? I'm 68 years old. Why should I be afraid of the devil? Why should I be afraid of failure? Why should I be afraid to say, let's take the rest of this thing and go for the gold? Come on, let's let God talk to us today. our hands and ask God to talk to us today. At some point, you have to come to grips with this stuff. And saints, you may be seated. And saints, it's not different in your life either. Don't sit around and say, well, if my preacher was doing something, you that are in Sacramento, there's a whole Hmong community here. You don't have to move to Asia. Are any of you going to college to learn the Hmong language? Oh my God, brother, wasn't that take me five years? Well, what are you going to do for the next five years? You could become the missionary to them and get to know some of them and eat at their restaurants and learn to lake their food and, and go talk to them and start witnessing to them and learn the language and become... You don't even have to go to Asia anymore. They're all right here. 
Well, Brother Wilson, nobody else is doing that. No, because everybody else is under the stronghold of thinking they're not good enough to do it. You have to break that and say, no, 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 I'm going to do it. And so, you, 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 you repeatedly yield to the comforting temptation to avoid facing these things in your life. And you don't let yourself ever collide with anything that exists outside of the existing order. You, you, whatever's out there, you don't let yourself go out there and rattle any of it. You just stay back in a, in a structured lifestyle of avoidance. Instead of just starting somewhere and saying, okay, today. I can't change everything today, but I'm going to start praying today. And I'm moving into this thing. And I'm sneaking up on the devil. By the time he finds out that I'm here, I'm going to have a club to hit him right in the head with. I'm coming on. I'm coming. I want to tell you, these structures of stronghold, I may not get very far into this message, but these structures of stronghold are powerful. How many people have I talked to that when you start to say, you know, you could do this, you don't even get this out of your mouth until they already have a smile of rejection. And says, ah, I, yeah, but... You, but Brother Wilson, you, you, you're a special person. We, I can't. That is not true. What makes it look special is that you look at those who said, I'm not living with this stronghold any longer. And to you, that's special. But that's not special. That's normal. In God's kingdom, that's how you live. You say, I'm not living with this stronghold any longer. And so, what really happens is, is you embrace and pet and stroke and love and depend on your stronghold for security. And when we come and try to take it away from you, you get mad. No, this is my, no, this is my stronghold. I can't do it. That's the name of your stronghold. But you got to give up your teddy bear. Because your teddy bear is the 25th bear. And it's eating you alive. Hey, hey. I don't mean this wrong. I don't mean this wrong. But I know guys, you may be seated, but I know guys. That's just an arbitrary number. Don't go home and get discouraged and shoot yourself. Or make something out of it that I'm not making out of it. 
But I know guys, 48, 50, 52, 54, 55, that are still waiting. My day's going to come. My door's going to open. Hey, bub, your door's behind you. You done waited too long. You better get, you better get terrified today. Oh, I'm going to build a big church. Yeah, you, you already wasted your time. Fooling around. You say, well, Brother Wilson, you mean there's no hope? Oh, I don't know, but if I was you, I'd turn and run back real quick and find that door. And say, well, I may be a little older, but I'm fixing to crash this door down. And I'm telling you one thing. I'm not going to go on living my life this way. I'm going to get in the stream. You may be seated. I want to tell you something else. I'm just... Just an old man talking today. Just an old man talking to you today. You say, well, I'm not going to go to that No Limits because they all think they know everything. Well, we don't know everything. All of, I'm not just talking about the church here. I'm talking about all of us. We know everything. But you let people talk you in to not running with the people who are breaking strongholds. And it just shows you're not wise. No, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching. This isn't a 40-year-old preaching this to you. It's an old man preaching to you. You know, even a football team has enough sense to know that if they've got, have to go back a ways for me to, and if I call a name, then you wouldn't know who it was, but a guy named Barry Sanders used to be a, a running back. And everybody wanted him. And it, nobody could catch him. And he had all the moves. And he just he was just outstanding. So what the team always did, because they never wanted anybody to think, well, we're catering to Barry. You know, they just always gave it to the guy that lost yardage. So that they could make everybody like him. Is that what they did? Of course not. You know, you need to get over your little petty silliness. If it's not here, you need to find somewhere where you're running with people that aren't stroking your strongholds. But that are giving you a, 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 a passion, a passion, a passion to break those strongholds and become something. Hey, you may be seated. Now I'm going to tell you. I can't do it anymore, but I played ball with people that I didn't even like. And they were on my team. But when the team's out there, their personality wasn't like mine. I didn't like them. Some of them didn't like me. But when we were out there, if he's the guy hitting all the shots, I ain't going to worry about whether I got a friend that says, well, did you know he's this or he's that? I don't care what you say about him. When he shoots, it goes in. Shut up. I'm throwing the ball to the guy that can get it in. I'm getting the batter that can knock it out of the park. I'm getting the guy that can run it down. I'm getting the guy that can throw the touchdown. And I'm going to say, come on. We need to get together and we need to get this done. Oh, no. You may be seen. Oh, no. But we're not going to do that. We're going to say, well, I don't like it because I'm <laughs> And while all that pettiness is going on, Rome burns.
Well, all that silliness is going on. And there'll be people that hear me preach this and say, well, here's his motive in doing that. You know what? Let me give you a real spiritual statement. You know what you're full of? Watermelon. Because it wouldn't matter who was preaching it. If it was going to take something away from you or show you up for what you're not doing, you would find a way to criticize them, to drag them down. It's not about me. It's about anybody that's going to try to break the strongholds, and you're going to try to drag them down. No, no, don't tell me I shouldn't be preaching like this. This is exactly how somebody needs to be preaching. Hey, and let me tell you something else. You may be seated. Let me tell you something else. Well, I got so much to tell you something else, I can't get it all out. But if there was ever a time, there's, here's the truth. Say, well, Brother Wilson, if you don't think it does any good, well, I didn't say it didn't do any good. I just said I wondered how much good it did. But every once in a while, every once in a while, somebody gets it. And a lot of times it's people you never thought would get it. And they get it. And they come to an altar and they, and all of us together and they, whatever, and they, and they get it. They're not concerned about who's getting the credit. They're not concerned whether their friends likes me. They're not concerned about, they got it. And when they get it, they say, bro, hey, hey, I'm coming out. They go home, revival breaks out. They go home, good things starts happening. They go home, the Holy Ghost starts moving. They go home. So knowing that there's those kind of people that are listening somewhere today, it's you I'm preaching to. I want to encourage you to have the courage to go ahead and step out and say, I am going for it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this. You may see the, the last stronghold I want to talk about, there's many, is the stronghold of who interprets your situation. The stronghold of who interprets your situation. Because if you let Goliath be your situation interpreter, you're in trouble. And that's exactly what happened. Read the story. The armies are arrayed. Every day, morning and evening, Goliath comes out and superimposes his interpretation upon everybody in the Philistine army and everybody in the Israeli army. Why should we battle? Give me a man! He's interpreting the situation. He's putting forth how it ought to be done. And me and a man will fight. If I win, you serve us. If he kills me, We serve you.
every day, not just his words, 40 days and nights, but the roar of his voice, the intimidation of his size and his countenance, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So Goliath set the tone. Goliath in this story is the same guy that was in the garden with Eve. Same motivator, same spirit. And when he set the tone, everybody surrendered to him. David's brothers didn't say we won't fight him. They had not come to that point. But they'd already lost because they accepted Goliath's interpretation of the rules of engagement. And so the entire perception of reality was framed by Goliath. Now, I just want to stop long enough to say Pentecostals do not need to allow the world to frame the perception of the reality in our world. And I'm not being unkind here, but Pentecostals don't need to allow evangelicals to frame their theological perception of reality in the world. And I appreciate all contributions that everybody makes to the work of God in any way, shape, or form. But apostolic Pentecostals do not need to allow Trinitarian Pentecostals to shape the perception or frame the perception of reality in the world. Just telling you. Not mad at nobody except the devil. Just telling you. And so Saul bought in. The Philistine army bought in. David's three brothers bought in. The Israeli army bought in. They didn't even know that they'd already bought in to the frame of perceived reality that was created by the enemy. So you've got to start there. When you preach like I'm preaching right now, before you ever get to whether a person will change, you have to tear down their frame of reality their perception that this is the way it is. There's people here, all, I've, all the screaming I've done so far and the sweating, I won't have to work out today. All of the screaming and ranting and waving my arms around. There are people here right now that say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. You're not being ugly. You're just so paralyzed and calcified and locked into the frame of your perception of ineptitude and the reality that you can't do anything. And when it starts dawning on you, maybe what he's preaching is for me, it terrifies you and you get caught between, no, 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 yes, 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 no, 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 yes, 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 no, no, no. And the flesh and the spirit work back and forth and we pray to God that the word of God comes in and breaks down that flesh until you say, I can do it, God's with me, I'm not living under this stronghold any longer. Let's use a little energy and praise him again.
may be seated but David didn't buy in look at your neighbor and say David didn't buy in To defeat Goliath, he first had to resist the temptation to buy into the perceived frame of reality that was created by Goliath. Didn't have anything to do with a battlefield yet. Didn't have anything to do. It had to do with, with way back before that saying, here's what he's saying. Here's what Israel's convinced of. But I'm not a part of that. I don't believe that. And so he tells his brothers, in essence, I don't believe that. And what do his brothers do? Oh my God, you're embarrassing us, David. You are an embarrassment to the organization. How many times? Anyway, let's don't go there. You're an embarrassment. Do you understand that nobody even knows what you're doing? And that you're, you don't, you're just a punk. You don't, you, don't, you don't even know what you're saying. You don't even know what you're talking about. I had one man tell me one time, he was older than me, but he wasn't my elder. I guess is the best way I know to say it. But he said, one of the things you have to realize, Brother Nate, is that when a man begins to refine his dreams and visions to the size of the practical reality of being a full-grown adult, that's a true sign of maturity. Did you get that? I guess I need to say that again. When a man becomes a full-grown adult and he begins to trim the size of his visions and ideals and dreams as a young person to the size of the reality that is about him as an adult, when he begins to trim it to the size of the reality about him, then that's a sign of maturity. Now the Bible says rebuke not an elder. So I kept my mouth shut. But when I left there I said, nay nay. I'm going to stay immature all my life. I'm not buying it. I'm not sacrificing one scintilla of the vision God gave me when I was a teenager. I'm not giving it up, not one scintilla. And I want to tell you, it hasn't changed at 68 years old. It's no different. God doesn't get old. The Spirit doesn't get tired. The Holy Ghost doesn't lose its power. It's ageless. And so, Goliath tries to set the rules for the battle. And here's what he says. Give me a man. And David says, no, we're not going to give you a man. We're going to give you a boy. Whatever Goliath wants, David's not going to give him. 
He's into breaking who's running this show. No. We're not going to give you a man. We're going to give you a boy. And it's me. Goliath means splendor. No, we're not going to give you a splendid warrior to fight you. We're going to give you a shepherd. No. We're not buying into your frame of reality. Saul brings him in. Saul says, all right, son, I've heard what you said. I don't know if we had any options, I wouldn't do this. But here, take my armor. Put this armor on. And David's got this stuff. I mean, Saul was head and shoulders above. He wasn't as big as Goliath, but he was head and shoulders above everybody in the Israeli army. And so here's David, and he's got this stuff sagging off of him. And while he's got on, he says, King Saul. He says, what? He said, do you have time for a cup of coffee? He said, why, sure. I've got my little cured right here. What kind do you like? I'll take some of that chocolate, almond, fresnetti, mocha. Good, I got that right here. Kings have everything. <laughs> King, do you mind if we sit down here for a minute? And can I sit in this chair? Yeah. I'll sit down right here, David. Now tell me, son. What do you want to tell me? Well... This stuff don't fit. And furthermore, let me give you the spiritual psychology behind what's going on, O king. This guy wants me to wear this. Which is the first reason why I wouldn't wear it if it fit. Because I'm not doing what he frames for me to do. So if you don't mind, sir, I respect you, but would you... Just take this stuff off. It's killing me. I can't hardly stand up in the first place. How do you wear this stuff? And so he takes the armor off. And David walks out there. And one of the first things that Goliath recognizes is the perceived frame of reality has been adjusted. Who are you? Am I a dog that you'd send this little boy out here to fight me? David says, They say you're a champion, but I'm not falling into that stronghold. You're an uncircumcised fillet. Do you realize David's the only one that used that phrase in the whole two or three chapters? You're an uncircumcised Philistine. You're not a covenant kid. I'm a covenant kid. You go down. My covenant with God is a stronghold breaker. He has sent me here. He's made me the daddy of these children. He's made me the head of this household. He's made me the pastor of this church. He's made me the leader of this situation. 
And the next thing Goliath says is, come to me. Setting the parameters. And David said, I'm not coming to you. Every parameter the devil set to create a stronghold. David said, nay, nay. Not go in there. Come to me. Oh, no. You come to me and I'll feed you. Uh-uh, I'm not coming to you. We're going to fight this fight my way. The devil says, well, if you just get out here and cuss and kick and fight and get in politics, oh, no, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. I wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. I'm not going there. I'm going to preach the gospel. And so David refuses the rules of engagement that the world sets out for him. And he's got long-distance weapons. And he takes his little sling and slings his rock. And it's a drone with a little helicopter on it. And then when it gets just right up to its target, there's an extra rocket that kicks in. Now that, that translation is beyond the NIV. But you get the point. And so did Goliath. And so... I'm closing, but you have to take a stance. All of you that don't want to fight it, strongholds are not neutral. You will not escape them by trying to negotiate with them. One of the things you have to understand about strongholds, they can't be broken by just thinking. How many people are heroes in the fantasy world of their mind? I went out and I did this. I went out and I cast out these devils. I went out and I... But they never do it. It's all in their mind. You have to move from thought to speaking. There's other action, but speaking is the first action. And you have to, you have to speak. You have to, you have to speak it out. You, you, have to, you can't be a chronic thinker that builds up plaque in action's veins. To be a chronic thinker just builds plaque in action's veins until finally it chokes the life out of you. At some point, somebody says, but Brother Wilson, I don't know exactly the right program. Let me give you a little secret that I learned a long time ago. Almost any of the programs will work. Don't worry about the program. Just grab one when you get there. It's the getting there you need to worry about. Because God's going to anoint it, whatever the program is. It's the getting there. It's the faith. It's the walking out. It's the saying, I'm going to do it. Let's stand. And so you have to speak. Look at your neighbor and say, you have to speak. You have to speak. You know what?
Every once in a while, not often, because I'm not a fast starter in the morning. It takes me a little while to get up to speed. I mean, if I have to, I can do it, but I don't want to do it. (laughs) And I've done what I don't want to do most of my life in terms of personal discipline of getting up early and all that kind of stuff. But, but every once in a while, I get up and I say to myself and the powers that be in this world, in the universe, today is not No Limits the conference. It's No Limits the day. Today, because God empowers me, I can do anything today. And I'm fixing to go out and do it. So when I'm doing it, whatever it is, maybe I'm just fixing a table in the office or something. And I need some screws to fix it or something. I go stomping into the hardware store. I need some screws for a table. And I know they're thinking, well, you don't have to stomp in here like that. Yeah, but I'm on, but I, but I'm on, this is on me. I'm, I'm, there's no limits to me today. I'm putting these screws in this table today. Because there's a part of me, if I don't do that, then I'll say, well, I don't have time to go get the screws right now. Well, maybe I can get the screws tomorrow. Well, maybe I don't even need the table. See? And you just talked yourself into being a slob. And you're a slob in your ministry, and you're a slob in your home, and you're a slob. You got to say, I'm not living my life that way. I'm getting up. I'm going to go do it in Jesus' name. I'm getting after it. Some of you kids that aren't making anything out of your life and live in America, shame on you. You're going to be judged for that. You better get down to business in this no limits and say, God, give me direction for my life. I'm not a little baby anymore. I want you to give me direction for my life. And there's other people here today that's got deep problems. It's stuff you're wrestling with, heartbreak and all kinds of stuff. Oh my God, there's terrible things in life. But I'm going to tell you, the answer is not by letting the devil shut you down. If you're staggering, if you're, hear me, if you're staggering, you've got to stagger to this altar and lift those tired hands one more time and say, God, I may die, but I'm not giving up. God, I'm coming to you. I'm believing you to break this stronghold, God. I'm believing you for your, I'm believing you, God. Come on, come on, come on. Come on. Oh, God, you're going to touch me. You're going to touch me. You're going to touch me. You're going to look and look and
break them. Somebody's gonna break them. Somebody's gonna break them. Somebody's gonna break them. I expected.